0: Everything, everything ultimately comes down to how one views the biblical text. When it comes to theology, I mean, that's the, that's, that's the ground, that's the foundation. And so sometimes, like, conservatives and more progressive folks like myself are just talking over each other's heads because we are just starting at two completely different places. And so I like the approach of Karl Barth uh, when he says that Scripture is a witness— divine revelation but should not be equated with divine revelation so we have to understand that what the scripture writers are saying is coming from uh certain culturally conditioned and uh and historically rooted perspectives not uh eternal ones you know what i mean so uh the uh when, when you see Scripture this way, that allows you to to now use some discernment and say, okay, just because that's what was believed back then doesn't mean that's what necessarily needs to be believed now. And so the question becomes, okay, well, how do I discern when I read through uh, the Scripture what's reflecting God's truth and what's just reflecting, you know, the humanity of, of the apostles? Bloods over me oh my Lord, won't you come carry me
1: when I've gone down a path hey everybody welcome back to the Can I say this at church podcast Based on feedback from the most important person that influences this show which is my wife we're gonna try the intro live So here we go today I am joined by Pastor Danny Prada who comes from Heartway Church in Florida. Danny, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks. Glad to be here.
1: I always like to start kind of the same way. A little bit of your background, your story, your history, uh, and then how that kind of impacted you to the ministry that that obviously you feel called to do as a pastor, but just kind of those those huge milestones that that were life-changing or or life-altering for you.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in church. I have two wonderful parents who kind of train me up in the right way, and every Sunday we were going to church and worshiping together and we would pray together and so that was kind of like always put in front of me when I was a child uh, but my faith wasn't really my own until I got to college when I was in college that's when I really uh started getting around some other folks who were serious about following jesus and Uh, I started to become a lot more passionate about my faith to the point where I transferred schools. At the time, I was at a university studying sports management my freshman year of college, and I transferred to a school in West Palm Beach called Palm Beach Atlantic University and uh, got my Bachelor of Arts in Ministry Leadership. Then from there, I went to the Southern Baptist Theologic Seminary. I had uh, gotten around some... Uh, reformed friends at college and they had sucked me into that world and so after I graduated I said you know what I want to go to like the hub of this kind of stuff and so uh SBTS was was that for me at the time and so I went and I was uh exposed to you know fundamentalism at its best I guess you know uh, a lot of uh a lot of uh, challenging things were, were taught to me and things that I challenged as well. And and during that time, uh, even though I liked what I was being taught to believe, I didn't like how a lot of the heroes of my faith were holding their beliefs. Like they were just really uh, combative and kind of argumentative with other streams of Christian faith and practice. And for me, that was a problem because I have half of my family that's Catholic, half of my family that's uh, charismatic. And uh, according to the folks that I looked up to, both of those uh, streams were just, like, probably not even considered to be Christian, to be honest. (laughs) So uh, that started getting me investigating a lot. And uh, long story short, I just started uh, expanding my my reading, and it got me to a point where I really started questioning a lot of uh, what I had held to be true. And so during that time, I decided to start a church. And so I started a church, and shortly after, my faith kind of crumbled completely and totally. And so I I, I tell folks all the time, there would be weeks where on a Thursday, I was doubting whether God existed. And on a Sunday, I had to preach to a room full of people about this God that I didn't know uh, existed or not. And so um, it's been a crazy couple of years, but right now our church has become somewhat of like a a, a a safe place for spiritual refugees and people who are on the fringes and people who are struggling with questions and doubts, uh, because that's kind of been my journey. So I appeal a lot to those folks who are trying to rethink their faith in light of uh, the
1: contemporary world. I want to clarify on something you said in there. So you said when you got to college was when you met Reformed.
0: Yeah, when I was uh, when I was in college, I just kind of made friends with some guys who were like all into Mark Driscoll and mm-hmm. Wayne Grudem and John Piper and R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur yeah. and Matt Chandler and how um, you name it. You how know? is so, that?
1: So how does that differ then from your upbringing? Were you more Catholic upbringing or more charismatic or some kind of mixture no, of the two? Uh,
0: I I grew up going to liquor-sensitive uh, megachurch that was not really too keen on theological conversations to be honest. So none of this stuff was even like a thing to me. You know, I mean, it was the same conservative evangelical theology, but they weren't like mean about it. You know, so uh, I didn't I don't I didn't have too much baggage from my upbringing, but but once i got to college and i started getting introduced to this world that's when i really uh started having some issues with a lot that i was reading and and learning
1: i can echo that so i was the opposite i i went to a church that preached a lot uh i went to a an independent baptist church in in west texas and then went to liberty to you know cement all that and then after leaving liberty i was like man i don't this doesn't hold water in the world that i live in and the way that we treat people doesn't seem to match very well with the Jesus that I say that about that the Jesus that we talk yeah. about and it just man it, it struggle and i relate a lot cuz during my whole phase like i lead worship at my church pretty much every sunday or i'm involved with it and i struggle with not necessarily preaching things that i don't know if i believe in but singing them uh which is yeah. which for me Singing is one of the ways that I currently like worship God in a way that I can't quite describe if that makes any sense like there's something no, I get it, something primal in it that i that i don't know something deeper than humanity,
0: yeah, you know for me it, it, I'm with you, man for me, when I started kind of uh exploring outside of my box because there was a point in time where I thought my Christian box was the only box, everything else was just painted or uh, or wrong, or confused, or misguided. Like I had the truth, and my group had the truth. But when I started like moving beyond that, what what kept nagging me was that I would listen to uh, a lot more progressive-minded Christian thinkers, and I just couldn't fathom how they could be so free in their love.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: was it was it was hard for me to understand. Like, wait, how can they? Talk in a way that's so inclusive and all embracing. Like, no, this Bible verse and this Bible verse and this Bible verse. And what about this doctrine and what about this uh, theological teaching? And it just didn't make sense, and it was hard for me. But I knew deep down inside, even though intellectually it wasn't, um, it wasn't computing. Intuitively, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that it was right. And and sometimes I, I've heard it said that. The job of, of a good spiritual teacher is to be a midwife, which is basically essentially saying that the job of the of the, of the teacher is to help give birth to that which is already inside of you. And that's what I feel was happening during uh, those early stages, maybe about four or five years ago when I really started expanding my horizons. I I, I just knew in my heart that uh, greater love and greater freedom and greater inclusivity was was pulling me forward. The spirit was pulling me forward. Um, and I just had a whole bunch of Bible verses that I was arguing, <laughs> uh, and, and using to, uh, to resist that movement forward. Yeah, You know, I, 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 I always, I think that the spirit of God is always ahead of us and we're just playing catch up. I honestly believe that with all my heart, you know?
1: Well, I hope I catch up one day. I, I don't disagree yeah. with that. Um, but I also don't know that I like it, because that's a lot of work on my part, and I'd like to hope that one day I did it, that I did it well. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but uh, that's probably because I'm lazy. How, so real easy question, and, and I say that with a smile on my face, um, what, is the, what is the purpose of the Bible? In, in your view, I've got, I've got six or seven different versions on the shelf over here. I read it regularly, and I've got probably every version known to man on my phone. What is the actual purpose of the Bible? Oh,
0: well, that has been a big question that I've mulled over uh on countless occasions over the last few years. Uh what I will say is that when I when I think about the Bible, I used to think about the Bible as one book that's saying one thing. Uh, now, my my view is very different in the sense that I've come to the realization that the Bible is a library of books written by many different authors over a very extended period of time, and these books record the developing understandings that were found within the ancient Jewish and early Christian communities. And so I personally believe that the Bible is a conversation starter, not a conversation ender. And so this is uh, what we as Christians are constantly in conversation with, and we find nourishment in the pages of Scripture, and we find God in the pages of Scripture. Uh, however, it's very easy to use the Bible as a weapon. In fact, I think the Bible in the hands of immature people, undeveloped people, and unloving people is probably the most dangerous book in the world. But you can really prove anything you want from any verse in the Bible. And, and history has proven that to be true. We've used the Bible to legitimate a bunch of hatred and prejudice and violence and, and exclusion, uh, even within the church. And so uh, the, the way I say it is like this. Uh, the Bible does not speak with one voice, but with many voices. And of all of those voices, I elevate the voice of Christ. And so the teachings of Jesus, the story of Jesus, is uh, what gives shape to my approach uh, of interpreting Scripture, if that makes sense.
1: No, it does. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes of yours, um, I have it saved on my phone, I screenshotted it, uh, because it's easier to find it that way, is, and I'm I'm trying to do this from memories, is you said how people interpret the Bible says a lot more about them than it does about God. And the way that I hear yeah. that is, is, is if I'm a hateful person, I'm going to interpret scripture uh, as, as Brueggemann says, you know, with my own implicit bias, especially if I don't care to research ancient Near East culture and what these words meant in the time that it meant. I mean, even 50 years ago, Snapchat wasn't a thing. And in a hundred years, who right. knows what that word will mean, but it is referenced right. in many books. So that, right, ma- that right. matters, and, and, and I like that thought of when we read Scripture, if what we read is hateful, it's probably because we are, which then I mean, that leads down so many, so many horrible, horrible conclusions if you're not right. willing if you're not willing to deal with it.
0: You see, and, and, and ultimately, I'm glad you brought this up because everything, everything ultimately comes down to how one views the biblical text. When it comes to theology, I mean, that's the, that's, that's the ground, that's the foundation. And so sometimes, like, conservatives and more progressive folks like myself are just talking over each other's heads because we are just starting at two completely different places. And so I like the approach of Karl Barth uh, when he says that Scripture is a witness to divine revelation, but should not be equated with divine revelation. And so... We have to understand that what the Scripture writers are saying is coming from uh, certain culturally conditioned and, uh, and historically rooted perspectives, not uh, eternal ones. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, when, when you see Scripture this way, that allows you to, to now use some discernment And say, okay, just because that's what was believed back then doesn't mean that's what necessarily needs to be believed now. And so the question becomes, okay, well, how do I discern when I read through uh, the scripture what's reflecting God's truth and what's just reflecting, you know, the humanity of of the authors? And that's where, you know, number one, we should always say Jesus uh, should should be that measuring stick for us. and and I like, to, I like to also just very bluntly say that love should be the measuring stick, because that is uh, what Jesus embodied through his life, and that is what Jesus said mattered most. And so I like how John Wesley put it when he said, whatever a passage of scripture means, it cannot mean that God is not love. And if you take that approach, uh, you're going to probably come to a lot of different conclusions than you may have been handed down in the past. And then, of course, we have you know, so much good biblical scholarship that can help us sort through, uh, the text. But, you know, it's, uh, it's not just like you can pluck up any Bible verse and say, this is eternal truth forever. Uh, no, this is, uh, the, the, the Bible, the way Marcus Borg puts it, someone I really admire, he says, the Bible is sacred in its status and in its function, but not in its origin. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and so that, again, that that's now that now that allows us to approach the text with, with a more critical lens and say, OK, let's take what we need to take and let's leave behind what, what we need to leave behind. You know, nobody hopefully on a Sunday morning is preaching slaves, obey your masters." Some people are still uh, preaching uh, women must be silent in church, but hopefully they're becoming the minority the more time that
1: passes. Hopefully they're not reading Romans considering uh, that was most likely read by a woman to all the people there right. in Rome. So exactly. if we just for, if you want to preach exactly. that which is funny cuz it it takes romans to justify that view um you're going to struggle when the the verses you're using were were probably first delivered by a by a Roman woman. Exactly. Yeah, but but again, that, that requires me to know that, and I have to learn that. Uh, so with that being said, what then is the role of the pastor? So I've you've got me as a captive audience at whatever church it is, and, and I know there's quite a few pastors that listen to this show. What is the role of a pastor, especially as you have doubts with what you believe, weekly and, and then on Sunday? Like, How should you approach that when you know that you have doubts, but you also have to speak truth? What? What does that look like?
0: Oh, well, it's it's not easy for starters, you know. But something that I've noticed is the more vocal I've been about my struggles and my doubts and my questions, the more people have kind of come out of the woodwork and raised their hand to say, "Hey, me too." I've actually been thinking those things this whole time, but I didn't know I was allowed to even say that. And so, Mm. I I always tell people the worst thing you could ever do is put me up on a pedestal. I'm just like everybody else. And I speak to others what I need to hear myself. And so when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to me, and I'm letting everybody else listen in. And if it's helpful for you, great. If it's not, fine. But I think uh, ultimately the job of, of the pastor is to witness to all that they have been experiencing of God in their life and to help other people become the most loving versions of themselves. That's what this whole thing is about uh, from top to bottom. And so that's that's what I try and do. Our, our, my job is to serve, my job is to bless, my job is to help. And, you know, if me being honest about my journey can serve that purpose, then great. That's what I do.
1: One question that always nags at me, and I've never, honestly, I've never been ballsy enough to ask it to a pastor, but I've got you, and so I'm going to try. And if If it doesn't come off right, here's for those listening. I I intend this from the best from the best perspective. Um, Thinking in light of of the pastor that just committed suicide, and and then I've been reading a lot about suicide. I just read a book from Steve Austin called "Catching Your Breath," which is uh, got a lot of that struggle and angst. Is is so many people, specifically people in a position of leadership, be that you know a manager or be it a pastor, where you're not allowed to show, you can't turn it off. Like you have to show up Sunday. You can't turn it off. Everyone else gets to grieve and check out, but the pastor. Right. And you have to answer the phone if someone calls, because that's how this works. So how can the church partner or or create a safe place that that brokenness doesn't continue to be a leading cause, either in the congregation or in the leadership, like people just literally ending it?
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I remember hearing a pastor say once that everybody who is even considering to enter into pastoral ministry should first spend a whole lot of time in some AA meetings, because in those meetings, you will kind of learn how much BS uh, we kind of put up with in church and how how many masks people are wearing and how uh, inauthentic people are within the walls of of the church. Uh, I think the answer is always honesty and vulnerability and, and transparency, and yet it's so sad that church, which is where people should be able to freely and totally be real about where they are, is the very place most people say they cannot do that. They can't, they're judged or they're looked down on or they're disciplined or,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, excluded because of whatever that they said or shared. And so I think it's so important that we, we learn how to create uh, environments and spaces where people can really be themselves without any repercussion. And I also think it's important for. Uh, people in the church to recognize that we are not the end-all, be-all, and there are some issues that are way past our pay grade, and there's nothing wrong in telling people, go see a professional, go take medication, go ahead and pray. That's fine. You know, go ahead and do some uh, spiritual practices that can help you, but get the other help that you need, too. And I think for a while, there's just been this weird stigma around mental health and stuff like that. Sometimes we just kind of catch it when it's too
1: late, you know? So I've been reading a lot on that and, and uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. And and I think stigma is the right word. And, and I'm, I'm so hopeful that my kid's generation does not look at like, if my car was broke down, I take it to the mechanic and the brain is nothing more than right. any other part of our body. Like if I'm sick, I go to the doctor. And for some reason, right. you're not supposed to do that. If if you're struggling with depression or you know we'll we'll pray it out of you and and the reason I asked that question is I feel like churches that I grew up in and churches that I see uh for the most part are really good at calling out the problem and decent at trying to help with the solution and horrible at walking through you when it hurts that there's only a handful of people that will and so how and your church is probably different because you were going through everything while the church is being founded. Um, so I have to think that your congregation is probably in a different headspace than the right. normal church that existed in Atlanta, Georgia for the last hundred years, or my church that's over a hundred years old, you know. And so right. um, that's why I asked that question. Like I I don't know how to how to retrain a congregation that their entire life church has been programmed that this is the box that, or this is the puzzle piece that church fills in your life, when really it, it should be many puzzle pieces that are interchanging?
0: 100%. 100%. And, and for us at Heartway, it, 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 it starts with me. I mean, it always starts with the leadership. You know, I, I, I have zero problem being completely honest about what I struggle with, where I need to see growth, what I've been experiencing, how I've been hurt in the past. And so a lot of people, they just kind of need that permission. I know it's probably weird to put it in that way, but people, they don't feel like they're allowed or they're able to or like it's not correct. And so when a spiritual leader comes out and it's just totally open about things, that helps create a culture where other people can embrace that same kind of uh, mentality and just be open and honest and, and, and real about whatever it is they're struggling with. But, but yeah, I just saw somebody actually last weekend who said, who, who talked to me about uh, the fact that they're dealing with depression and, you know, they don't know exactly what to do. And I said, uh, and they asked me to pray and I said, listen, I'm going to pray for you, but can you promise me that like, you're going to go, See somebody, And if they tell you to take medication, you'll take that medication, too, because the, the mental health is such a big issue. Like this, this is such a big problem that we need as many ways to kind of confront it as possible, not just one way. And we should utilize all those different ways in order to, uh, you know, get to that place where we can actually uh, enjoy life and, and live as we were intended to live.
1: I didn't intend for us to go there, but I'm glad that we did, because it's it's honest. And and if there's ever anything you you wonder if you can say at church, it's definitely that. I want to circle back around to the Bible. So I find often, as I'm in a different place now than I was 10 years ago, when I speak with people that we no longer theologically align, they struggle, and, and probably I do too, if I'm honest, at dissolving the belief and the person like i am not my beliefs but my beliefs Mm. do inform me and so Mm. how do you deal when people like i've been called like well you're just cherry picking scripture you can't just talk about love or jesus and it seems like every time i give you a scripture verse seth you want to try to twist it to match it to fit what jesus said which a part of me finds funny actually genuinely funny But I get tired of being accused of cherry-picking which scripture I do and don't want to use for whatever the situation is. Do you find that to be true?
0: Um, Yeah, it's just kind of silly. Everybody cherry-picks. Everybody chooses a set of texts that they're going to prioritize over others. And all we're saying is we're open and honest about admitting the fact that we do it. And other people who just, they just aren't. And so what we're saying is because of Jesus and what he valued and what he taught, we want to prioritize these texts that speak of love and justice and compassion and peace and wholeness and renewal. And we want to read all of those other texts in light of these which we're giving priority. And the, the example of this is Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Jesus was very selective in his uh, quoting of scripture. Sometimes Jesus would even change scripture. You've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus would challenge certain readings and interpretations of scripture. And what ultimately uh, was the goal for Jesus in all of this was love and compassion. That, that was always the goal for Jesus. That's where he wanted to end up. And so if there were certain people who were using the law to exclude other people or to uh, belittle other people, uh, Jesus said, hey, I know that's what it says, but uh, people matter more than rules and relationships matter more than your dogmas. And so when there's a conflict, you got to... Uh, You've got to be willing to question some of this stuff and some of the way you're reading it. So I like how one uh, one teacher by the name of Paul Knitter, um, he says, he's from Union Theological Seminary, he says that he operates uh, with what he calls an ethical hermeneutic, which means he basically tests the validity of truth claims on the basis of the ethical fruit that those truth claims produce in people's lives. And so if the ethical fruit of a certain belief is bringing harm, then we've got to go back and rethink that belief or rethink that interpretation. Does that make sense?
1: It does. But how do we measure harm? Because um, what could be harmful for me... Yeah, so like, like, say I own a business, what I think is harmful uh, is entirely different than what you might think is harmful. So how do I measure harm in that hermeneutic?
0: Yeah, I think I think that when you look at the life of Jesus, there is always, 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 and and, uh, liberation uh, theology speak of it like this: there's always a bias for the bottom. There's always a preferential option for the poor. God's heart is with the oppressed. God's heart is with those who are excluded and marginalized. And so, you know, in what way? Are our beliefs and our interpretations and our and our theology uh, impacting those folks? And that's where that's where we can look and say, Hey, this is actually producing a lot of harm, or this is actually doing something that's good. And and again, love is our guide. Love is our guide. At least that's how I I try and simplify it in that way. Lift your eyes up to that yellow sun. Let the night and time feel it come undone.
1: We think about social justice and we think and and when i say that i don't mean the political social justice i don't mean democrats republicans i could care less about that when i think of bringing that salvation that uh, to me social justice is a form of salvation like things are being reconciled and and if i'm just to be overtly blunt like i believe that 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 humans ultimately are being reconciled but so is everything else you know the computer that we're talking on this microphone the universe Everything is being made whole and that that's what the kingdom of God is ultimately going to look like, um, which I believe is going Mm -hmm. to be extremely leveling. So how does the church do that? What does the church need to change um, for that version of the kingdom of God to come into being? Because what I see now does not look like that except for really small pockets, and I want to make sure I don't have just an echo chamber of people that agree with me.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the statement, uh, made by Jurgen Moltmann when he said all theology is eschatology. All theology is eschatology, meaning how we think about the future is going to have a huge impact as to how we live now in the present. And so if we've got a skewed uh, vision, Of what God intends for the future, then we're going to have a skewed vision for God's purposes in the here and now. And so, how do we conceive of where this whole thing is headed? That's the big question. And you answered it very well already when you mentioned the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, there are so many. Well, just like every theological term, there are a million definitions for everything. So, <laughs> some of my favorite definitions of the kingdom of God, uh, Thomas Ord calls it the reign of love. Uh, one of my professors from Fuller, Reggie McNeil, calls the kingdom of God life as God intends. Marcus Borg speaks of the kingdom of God as the dream of God for the world. Uh, John Cobb theologian speaks of the kingdom of God as the commonwealth of God. It, it is a vision of a new kind of world and a new kind of humanity. And so we are called to partner with God to bring about that reality. That was Jesus's prayer. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I think the church is always going to have problems if we relegate social justice to something that is secondary to the gospel or just an implication of the gospel when you separate social justice from the gospel you no longer have the gospel you got like those are one and the same now of course there's an individual component to this we preach the good news that People can be reconciled to God through Christ, but here's where people get it mixed up. What it what that means, okay, to be reconciled to uh, to God through Christ, what that means is you are partnering with God to bring about this alternative social vision that God has for the world. That's what it means for you as an individual to be reconciled to God and to be faithful to God and to live the kind of life that God intends. So the social component and the individual component of the gospel belong together. They belong together. God has a vision for what the world could be. We saw we saw that uh, in Jesus. And now our calling is to uh, partner with God to create the kind of world uh, that we saw uh, made known in Christ.
1: How do we do that well when we have when we have things that like just came out to uh, yesterday that social justice activism reform that so many uh, Protestants signed their name to it? I have to think that you have to be aware of it. I haven't read it in full, but I, I hope you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that John MacArthur espoused. Like, how do we how do we on one side of the church join hands with the other side of the church when they seem to just not care? Like, just check out. Like you're reading it wrong. It's your fault. Like, how? I don't need them to agree with me but how do I actually partner with them because it's going to require that like like a church like there's a part of the church that to do the ministry that needs to be done requires the mechanisms and the infrastructure that the body of the church historically has made but it seems like sometimes that body just doesn't care to use it for anything but gain yeah. so how do I partner and and I love what you're saying about social justice but I don't know how to make that key fit into that lock to even start down that road.
0: Well, on a personal level, I'm I am trying to spend a lot less time fighting the old and a lot more time building the new. Mm. And so, kind of like Richard Rohr says, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. I I I just think that those of us who have captured the heart of the kingdom Need to pay a lot less attention and give a lot less energy to folks who are dragging everything back, and we need to give all of our energy and all of our focus to moving things forward. So, like, what does that what does that mean for our communities? Like, we we just gotta be on the ground. We've got to be uh, connected. We to, to 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 the poor. We we have to be um, actively at work in our communities, bringing about change, not just, and and I make this distinction oftentimes, a lot of churches are good at doing the work of charity, but not a lot of churches are good at doing the work of justice. And there's a big difference. You know, charity is, charity is doing nice things for people who are in need and we need a lot more charity, but that's not where it stops for us. If, if the vision of Jesus is God's goal and desire is the kingdom, then we also have to fix and change the structures and systems that create the poverty and the neediness in the first place. So, so that's where, that's where churches need to need to get really creative and, and start figuring out how can we actually make a lasting impact? How can we actually bring about change, not just do nice things for people and take pictures and post it up on social media and then pat ourselves on the back and make a video? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it, yeah, it's, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy. But I'll tell you what, the fact that these folks had to make a statement tells you that folks like us are making enough noise that that's a necessity for them. Do you know what I mean? Because I'll Mm -hmm. tell you what: when I was when I was in that world four or five years ago, this wasn't a conversation, but it is a conversation now. So the the reflection is happening, the conversation is happening, the dialogue is happening, and uh, I think unfortunately the church has usually had to had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, into the future.
1: I mean, well, that's that's the story of the—I mean, is, that happens every—like, that's biblical. Like, that is the story of Israel. Like, I will save you from Egypt. All right, we're good. You promise you'll do this? Yeah, of course. That's our covenant. Just kidding. He that's, was gone too long. Let's make a calf. Let's do this thing. Like, that is the story right. of the church, to kicking and screaming, um, which makes God more graceful, honestly.
0: I know. I know. And that's my biggest frustration. Like when, when you talk to people who are not in church world and you ask for their opinion of Christians, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing you're never going to hear. Oh, Christians? Man, those are those people who are just really ahead of the game. Those are those people who are just always challenging the way that we do things and and trying to pull society forward into a better future. No, that's not what people say about us. What they say about us is, oh, those are the folks that are holding everyone back. Those are the folks who are still like getting mad about the fact that uh, women are wearing, you know, uh, jeans that have holes in them. Which, by the way, we had an incident like that in my church, which is why. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's I, in my head. To, to be or, fair,
1: I don't like the, I feel like that's a waste of money. But that's me. That's a personal preference. <laughs> if she likes it, I don't care. That's fine.
0: You know, we, just, <laughs> we just worry about these issues and we make, we're just so behind. It's like, I'm so bored by some of the conversations that we're still having in the church. Like, why are we, why are we still having these conversations that, I mean, the world has moved on. The Mm -hmm. world has moved on, and eventually we will have to as well. But guess what? What we're supposed to be are—we're not supposed to be the last ones to wake up. We're supposed to be the ones ahead of everybody else. If the Spirit is constantly calling—if the Spirit is always ahead of us, you know, that means that we, as people of the Spirit, should be ahead of everybody else, too. Letting the world know, hey, there's a better future. There's a better way to do this. There's a better way to be human. Look at how we're living amongst ourselves. This is what God desires for you and for the universe as a whole. But that's just not the reality, you know? And so it's it, it's tough. It's tough. It, even for me, like, I I hate that every time I, I introduce myself as a pastor, people recoil. Mm. And then I have to spend the, the next 10 minutes apologizing and, and, and basically explaining to these people that I'm not uh, that kind of Christian, which they're used to. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I get why some people feel like they just need to check out and throw the whole thing away. The label's not even helpful for me. And I I understand it. You know, I now I believe too much in the message of Jesus and in Christianity to do that. Uh I, I I'm gonna stick it through, at least that's where I am now. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's it's not easy.
1: What do you think changed in the last five years? Because I agree with you, like I I'm only out of college for 10 years and I know I was in a bubble of liberty but just even when you turn on the news or social media like Facebook existed then although to date myself Facebook came to the campus because you had to be at a college to get Facebook um so I'll let people google what year that was but like I don't what what do you think has changed like in what you've seen um not necessarily what you've heard but what is what has changed either in the western civilization of humanity or in the culture of the world, that we are, it appears, gradually progressing, um, which, which scares me for what my son will deal with in 30 years. What will I stop progressing at? But I'm not there yet. Um, what is, has what is, right. changed?
0: Well, I can probably speak better as to what's changing in the church. Mm-hmm. We can start there. Sure. What I will say is more and more people are speaking up and speaking out when previously they kept so much to themselves because speaking up and speaking out meant you got fired, meant you lost your livelihood, meant you were deemed a heretic. I mean, look, 2011, Love Winds comes out, Farewell, Rob Bell. Fast forward, I mean, that that book created such a ruckus in, in Christianity. That because book rocked
1: it, me. Absolutely. I remember yeah, yeah. reading that. I had just started my banking career. I read it on my lunch break over the course of a week. I remember walking away slightly angry and extremely confused, specifically because he didn't right. really give any answers. He just said, here's the different right. views. Go figure it out.
0: Well, that's, that's his style, you know. And, and uh, but, but what I will say is there were a lot of people who had to pay the price and because they paid the price, uh, you you have this podcast right now, and you don't probably get as much heat as those people did. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, so so that's what I'm I'm sure I don't get as much
1: as they do, but I get well, I get more than I thought that I would.
0: Yeah, of course. You know, I, I get criticized all the time. But my point is, like, uh, alternative theologies are being normalized now. Like, that there, there are more and more people. Who feel uh, bold enough and courageous enough to now speak because others have spoken before them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and so I think especially with social media and the more content that's being put out and listen, my journey, my my journey towards the kind of Christianity that I practice now, a big part of all of this has been podcasts. I listen to, and I'm not even kidding. I still probably listen to anywhere upwards of eight to 10 hours of podcasts every week. And that's probably not, I probably do more than that sometimes. I I mean, so those podcasts are people like yourself who said, you know what, let's change the conversation. Let's talk about stuff we weren't allowed to talk about before. And so the more we normalize this, the, uh, the easier it 'll be for other people to pick up on the fact that you can 't just put a label and call us heretics and expect us to be silenced now and and, and uh, not taken seriously no that's it 's just not the reality anymore of the world that we live in, so I think that 's been a big part of the shift
1: yeah, no, I agree. I used to be afraid of the heretic label, mostly because I used it as a weapon, but i 'm finding more and more. And more, I, and I posted a quote not long ago that was given to me. Uh, what did it say? It's it's a helmet thick. I can't say his name. It's it's German, like the, the-, the- I can't say it. Uh, it basically it's it's a person who speak. It's it's T H I E L I C K. That's too many consonants in a word for me as an American, and I'm I'm willing I'm willing to admit that. But he says a person who speaks to this hour's need. Will always be skirting the edge of heresy, but only the person who risks those heresies can gain the truth, mm. which I I really resonate with because I feel like it gives yeah. me permission to keep doing what I'm doing, which which I find I find life giving. Like the more that I research and the more that I read, and honestly, the more that I watch the numbers of which podcasts are downloaded, like you would think that it would be the the big, you know, because I I've interviewed people not just progressive, I've interviewed people from all all different walks, but it is the right. the, the topics on hell, uh, the conversation on atonement, and the conversations mm. on salvation that have been historically mm. every month consistently enough so that they almost outweigh many of the other episodes, which are wow. like tentpole portions of our faith. Like where do I go when I die? What does salvation look like? Why did Jesus wow. die? which if those are the most listened to, I really wonder what most pastors are preaching on Sunday. But I find the more and more that I dig and the more and more that I read and engage in different streams of theology, uh, yeah. the deeper God gets and, and the, the, I don't know, the more flexible I become. And that's not the right, that's not the right verb, but it's close.
0: No, but I, I'm, I, I get it. I, I believe the search for truth is the search for God. And that truth, big t- truth, has nothing to be afraid of. So there's nothing that's off limits. Ask the questions, search, investigate, read beyond that which you have originally been exposed to. That's when you're going to start growing. That's when you'll get stretched. That's when you'll see. I didn't even know that other theologies really existed. And if I and, and if I did. Think that other theologies besides my own existed. I just dismissed them automatically as falsehoods because those articulations were different than mine, and that's what we're. That's what a lot of us are taught. This is there's just one way to see it, and that's it. And if you don't see it this way, you're wrong. And people have no idea of the breadth and the depth and the width of Christian history and Christian theology. I tell people all the time there are many ways where I have. Uh, challenged Christian tradition and moved beyond certain traditional formulations found within the church. However, there are other ways in which I haven't moved beyond. I've just uh, created deeper roots. I just went, I just went further in yeah. and I, I've been able to find stuff and, and, and unearth treasures that were there all along, but have just been ignored. So Ultimately, I think the big question is, what does it mean to be faithful? Repeating the past or continuing the conversation? There are some people who say our job is just to regurgitate what has already been said forever and ever and ever. Absolute, unchanging, eternal truth. And there are others that say, um, you should be a little more humble, recognize that even though there is absolute truth, no one possesses that truth absolutely. Which means we're all on a pilgrimage. We're consistently and constantly just figuring it out. We should always be open and willing to learn and adjust. And uh, theology is is a discussion. It's a discussion from beginning to end. But yeah, that, that's
1: that's difficult. Yeah, my one of my favorite friend. Well, one of my favorite friends. That's awful. One one of my friends. Um. Anytime we start talking about theology, he's like, I just sometimes have to remember that we made this up. Like like Jesus is who Jesus <laughs> is, but all of this theolo- all of this theology, like we made this. Like this. So if it's bad, we did that. And if it's good, we did that. But this theology and how we work with it, we made this up. It's we did this. Um ah, which is thank you. Yeah, which is it is what it is. So um, Danny. I want to I want to give give you back time. I know we've we're really close to the end of, of the amount of time that we have. So thank you so much uh, for coming on. I appreciate your afternoon, and I appreciate oh, I I genuinely I've I've listened to a handful of your sermons. I I really appreciate what you're doing. I don't necessarily always agree with you theologically, but I really genuinely appreciate your authenticity and and well, what you and what you're doing.
0: I appreciate
1: it. Where can where can people hear more, uh, either your sermons or dig into maybe some books that that are impacting you, or some some theologians that are that are being life giving to you? Uh, in closing,
0: yeah, well, uh, all of our stuff is at heartwaychurch.com, and every week I'm preaching different sermons, and so we do have a podcast, you know, on Podbean or uh, iTunes. If you search for Heartway Church, you'll you'll find what we're doing, but. Oh, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin in terms of uh, books for people to read. Uh, right now, what's bringing life to me, there's a wonderful book by uh, a man named Martin Laird called Into the Silent Land, which is uh, it's a beautiful book on prayer and contemplation. And I'm also reading a book by Richard Rohr called The Naked Now. And that book is really good. So that's kind of what's on the tip of my mind uh, as we speak. But, yeah, if anybody ever reaches out to me and if you're curious about reading, reading some good stuff, I can I can send recommendations for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, Danny, thank you so much.
0: Oh, you got it, man. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Hold
1: hand of darkness. I'll fall down to my knees each day and pray that God... Would light your way, I'll wait right here and watch the road till I see you coming home. Oh, till I see you come in
0: home. When I reach the rock below, i gone as low as I
1: could. The church. Is changing, and if you don't think so, you just have to pay attention. But the church must change. Uh, you heard Danny and I talk about it quite a bit there, and and I like, and I hadn't given much thought that that we just need to stop fighting the fight to change people to do something different, and instead just move forward, just move on, and and do something. Be formative. Be Jesus. Like just go and chase after the Spirit, and where that leads is fine. Thank you so much to the new patron supporters. I know there's been an uptick in that. I appreciate each and every single one of you. I'll talk to you next week. Be blessed. I watched that road for countless days Hoping just to see your face Your brother said that I hoped in vain And he wondered why I bothered A long way off I saw a man He looked like you so off I ran My God is this My son at last Is my child now Coming home Home oh.